Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. You probably have noticed that our confession texts during the season of Advent are a divergence from the book of Proverbs. And this is one of the ways we seek to adorn the season of Advent and Christmas as part of our celebration and honoring of our Lord's coming in the flesh. Our text this morning is from the book of Malachi, starting with chapter 3, verse 5. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien, because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. God will judge sinners. Here he promises to judge and to be a swift witness against sinners. The terms here are a little archaic and perhaps worth fleshing out a bit. Sorcerers are those who attempt to manipulate God or reality through divinations, incantations, magic, consulting with the dead, and even drugs. The Greek word for sorcery is pharmakeia, which is where we get pharmaceuticals from. In the Old Testament, the rites of pagan worship would also have been in sight, Things like sacrificing children, cutting themselves, like the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and ritual intercourse, like cult prostitution. These were all things that people would do to try and change their God's mind, or to effect a change in the world. And we have a tendency toward chronological snobbery. When we hear about this stuff, we frequently think things like, well, that was then, that doesn't happen anymore. Well, not so much. We've just changed our terminology. Drug abuse, speaking on actual abuse, not reasonable use, uh, like medicine. But drug abuse is rampant in our country, even in this county. Just ask the policemen or those who are actively trying to help out, those who are are addicted, they're they're enslaved to this. And we are sacrificing children to the tune of 3,000 a day on the altars of false gods. The God convenience and the God whatever feels good. And there are many who cut themselves, hurt themselves because of the emotional pain and distress of broken homes and communities and lives that drive them to do something just to know that they're alive or to cry out for help. And this isn't even touching on the obvious darkness of Wiccan neo-paganism or the silliness of horoscopes and palm readers and psychics who still advertise in broad daylight in our in our streets in our, in our, in our coffee shops adultery is more straightforward and even here extramarital relations and divorce are rampant and we're legalizing sin with the folly of homosexual marriage Perjurers are liars, those who lie on the witness stand in trial. But whoever bears false witness and hurts his neighbor is in view here. 
And there's no shortage of this going on today. The mere existence of organizations like the Homeschool Legal Defense Association or the Heritage Defense Fund betray this problem, this need for protection from perjurers. The exploitation of wage earners and widows and orphans is a terrible evil. That's what, that's what Israel and Judah were, were sent into exile over. God loves the poor. He loves the outcasts. He loves the strangers. And he comes to their defense. Wherever God is not honored, the weak are the ones who pay the penalty. America is a wealthy nation. And even the poor here tend to have it relatively better than the rest of the world. But as we turn away from God and seek our own means of salvation, we institutionalize this kind of wickedness. It's a lot harder to identify because of the confusing nature of sin. Again, we're changing the the terminology. But it's evident in socialistic policies. And it's evident in the ever-widening wage gap. The cost of living keeps going up, and the ones who hurt the most are the elderly, the jobless, and the lowest classes of society. Wage earners, widows, and orphans. And finally, as the verse says, this all happens because... We do not fear God. Today is the second Sunday in Advent, and you have noticed the theme on the covers of your bulletins, the theme of rejoicing in the Incarnation. And since I bring it up, you might be wondering what that has to do with this verse. God will come near us for judgment. He will be a swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, and oppressors. What? How do we rejoice about that? Because God judges wickedness, but he saves his elect. In Israel, a remnant was saved. In the first centuries after the the resurrection, the church grew up in the persecutions of Rome. And all this is consistent with the next two verses. Verses 6 and 7a. For I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. God invites us to repent and to return. And this truly is indeed cause for rejoicing. God's judgment is cause for rejoicing because it is the means of his great reversal. He makes rough places smooth. And he paves the way for salvation. And this reminds us of our need to confess our sins. So if you're willing and able, please kneel. your word. Father, we pray now that you would nourish, strengthen, consecrate, and purify our souls as we hear your word on Jonah. Father, we pray that you will bless us with your spirit. May he make this text to come alive for us. May the truths in it 
Drive us to see you faithfully, to call you God, to worship you, and to fall down before you in humility and wisdom. Father, we seek your saving grace, and we seek your illumination, and we, Jesus, and we, and we do this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, or yes, good morning, and uh, it's good to be back. I missed you all last Sunday. I'm grateful to Greg and Cameron for covering for me last week, and as I understand it, you have already been given a decent introduction to the book of Jonah, or at least the broad overview, by reading through the whole book and kind of putting it in a little bit of context. I've been marveling at this little book for the last couple of weeks as I've been preparing to start this series, because it's it is. It, it's a delightful story. It, it catches our imaginations. It's, it's really familiar. Everybody knows the story of Jonah and the fish, or Jonah and the whale. Um, it's short, it's pithy, it's exciting, it's riveting. It's like, it's surprising, just surprising things happen in it. And I've had difficulty trying to, to work out, how do I want to map out this, this series on Jonah? Because it's, it's just... It's so jam-packed with really good stuff. There's, there's, there's lots and lots of themes in the book that, that intertwine and overlap. And it's like you start touching on one here and, and you're, you're preaching ahead on three or four different things. Or, and, it's, and, and every one of them is like that. Um, there, there are many themes in the book, and, and they, they remind us of valuable insights from all over the scriptures, that, that just important truths that we need to, to know. On the surface is the obvious symbolism of, of the three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. That's that Jesus refers to in, in the Gospels that Cameron read last week. It's a, it's a theme of resurrection, a theme of, of death and resurrection. You also have this, this theme of the priesthood of Israel to the nations. That Israel's job was to save the nations. And, and that's a major theme in this book. It's a major theme in the Bible. And this theme also cuts two different ways. It's, it is uh, both an anticipation of God's accomplishment of, of the salvation of the world. That God cares about mankind in general. Um, and it's also a warning for the nation of Israel, a warning that, that if they're going to fail to do what God's telling them to do, God's going to make them do it, and they're going to suffer consequences as a result of it. There's another strong theme about the fear of the Lord. What is it to know God but to fear Him? What is it to see God and what he, who He is and what He does in the world but to fall down on your knees and cry out, Woe is me. God is unstoppable, and he's unstoppable in the pursuit of his own purposes. He does what he does for his own glory. And man, when he sees himself as he is before God's face, must worship and obey. Must worship and obey or diminish. Those are our options. There's no matter, we, we must, God pursues His purposes no matter what length that we humans go to to try and to thwart Him or to get out of what it is that He wants us to do. 
a little more subtly in the themes of the, the book, you, you see it that, that fleeing from God is a downward spiral. He's, uh, you, when you flee from the presence of the Lord, it, it's a downward path. You, it water flows downhill. God lifts us up. God builds us up. God gives us life. God places us in fellowship with Him. He places us on the mount of the Lord to turn away from God, to reject His rule, to reject His law, to reject His word to us is to go down. To go down, 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 down. Down the hill. Down away from God. And ultimately down to the pits of hell. Down to death. It's a, a little more subtle, but it's there. It's, it's, and, but, and, and serving God in His presence is an upward progression in redemption and in, in death and resurrection. God, God's there even in the pits of hell. God's there even in death. And God accomplishes His salvation. The book of Jonah is somewhat divided into two halves. You have chapters 1 and 2, in which we see Jonah's disobedience... And his redemption, where he, chapter 1, he, he, he disobeys God. He doesn't do what God told him to do. And, and where does that get him? But down into the pits, the belly of the fish in the bottom of the sea. And what happens there? Jonah stops and he says, whoa, chapter 2, you are God, save me. There's redemption He's, he comes back to the top. And then chapters 3 and 4 are the second half of the book. Both chapters 1 and 3 start the same way. They start with, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Um, in chapter 3 and 4 we see Jonah receiving that word of the Lord and he obeys. He arises and he goes to Nineveh. But he, in, in that chapter, what happens in chapters in 3 and 4? Jonah suffers. Jonah goes, he, he's, he's obedient, but he still suffers. He still goes through a type of death. And so that, so that he's, he sees the blessing of the Gentiles, and it tears apart his soul. He's, he's frustrated. He's angry enough to die. He, said, he tells God, I'm so angry, I, I want you to, to kill me now. He's, he's angry because the plant dies. He suffers. He's, he's, he's oppressed by the, the, the sun beating down on him. So in both halves, you see Jonah suffering and Gentiles saved. The Gentile mariners and the, the, the Ninevites are saved. And in this, Jonah is again a type of Jesus in the Gospels, right? God's prophet suffers and the Gentiles are saved. The world is saved. As we dive into the book, we're going to see all of these themes coming into play. And hopefully we're going to find the book of Jonah to be compelling and applicable to our own lives. Because like, what are, again, what's our tendency? Our tendency is to, oh, that's a great story. It's entertaining. It's something that we just want to sit back and watch. Sit, sit back and hear. But Jonah's a prophet of God. This happened to Jonah. And it affected his life. And then he wrote it down and gave it to the Israelites so that it would affect their lives. So hopefully these things are going to come out for us and be compelling for us. Jonah's lessons are lessons that we need to hear. Lessons that we need to learn. And I pray that this may become very clear to all of us as we progress through the book. 
So as I mentioned, both sections of the book start with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah, telling him to go to Nineveh to preach to Nineveh. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. This was Jonah's call. He, he was a prophet. He had been a prophet in the northern kingdom of, of Israel. He had, he had been given a pleasant ministry in Israel. God told him to speak soft words to Jeroboam II. Remember? And he's only mentioned one other time in the Old Testament, 2 Kings. And, and what he's mentioned in passing. He says, while Jeroboam II was reigning, the borders of his land increased according to the words of Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet. So Jonah's prophecy for the northern kingdom of Israel, his hometown, he's from the prophet of Gath-Hefer, that's near, near Nazareth. So the, his prophecy to his own people in his own land was peace, was prosperity. It was, it was an easy mission, something that everybody wants to hear. And it came to pass. What a, what a great opportunity for Jonah to, to experience God's blessing. He uh, has a pleasant charge. But now, God is doing something with Jonah that he doesn't do to any of the other prophets. He says, well, maybe Paul. But, but what he says, he says, you go to Gentiles now. Lots of other prophets prophesy against Gentiles. But they don't have to go to them. Jonah said, no, you go to the Ninevites and warn them that their wickedness is in, in front of my face. And I am, I'm going to destroy them in 40 days. Now this calling on Jonah was in accordance with who God is. Jonah was being Israel if he was submitting to this call. Because Israel's calling was as a priest to the nations. Ever since Abraham, it was the nation of Israel's duty to bless the nations. In Genesis chapter 12, when God initially called Abraham, or Abram at the time, when he called him to come out of his country, listen to the words. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Okay, that's exactly what Jonah's ministry to Israel was. Look, I will bless you. You will be great. Your borders will increase. He continues, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham was a priest for the nations. Move forward a few chapters. Abraham has obeyed God. He's left his hometown. He's following, he's following God's will. He's in the land of Canaan now. He's, he's split off from Lot. And God comes and gives him a prophecy and says, You're going to have a son by Sarah. And as God's about to leave, God reasons to himself, and Moses writes it down in the book of Genesis, what God tells to himself. 
He reasons, listen to God's reasoning as he, he's deciding that he's going to tell Abraham about the coming destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But listen to what God says. Genesis 18, verses 17 and 18. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I'm doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Right? Again, God's reiterating that that truth. And so here he's saying, I'm about ready to go to Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy them. But do I, should I hide this from my prophet? Because he's going to be a blessing to all the nations. And this is one of the nations. And what's Abraham do? When God tells him about the coming destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham pleads for Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham begs God. He, 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 it's like he got shame-faced about how much he was begging for God. He's, for a hundred righteous men? For fifty righteous men? For thirty? Even ten righteous men would you destroy? He, and he doesn't ask for God just to save the righteous men. He's, he's asking for God to save the whole city. He pleads for them. And he interceded for them. God reissues this command to Isaac in Genesis 26. I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Again to Jacob in Genesis 28. He says the exact same thing. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Israel was the priest to the nations. That's what Moses said to Israel when he took them out of Egypt in Exodus chapter 19. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. All the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God says right there, The whole world is mine. You are my priests. You are special. You are set apart. You're called to be the mediator between me and the world. And all of this priestly work was a foreshadowing of the priestly work of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that directly in Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. That's the the Apostle Paul. So God puts a calling on Jonah to be his priest to the nations. But Jonah didn't like God's word to him. Verse 3 brings us a shocking surprise. And it starts exactly the way that you'd expect it to. It starts, God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah arose to flee. It starts, he arose, he's going to do it, to flee. To flee from to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
Jonah said, I, I like God as long as he's telling me to do what I want to do. God gives Jonah a message that he doesn't like, and Jonah instantly just arises to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Joppa was the coastal city right there along the, the coast of Israel. And on the Mediterranean Sea, on the western side of Israel. Tarshish was east. Joppa was west. He goes down, he goes down to Joppa, the, eastern, uh, the western shore of Israel. He, he pays the fare to get on a ship to take him to Tarshish. And if this is the Tarshish that, that most people think it is, it would have been in Spain, about 3,000 miles away from Israel. The wrong direction from Nineveh. He pays the ferry, went into it to go with him to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah flees God's presence. He committed himself to this action. He what is this all about? Why would a prophet of God do this? Why does he disobey God? Jonah tells us in chapter 4 why. Again, see this, this is a tough, tough book because it's always, we get hints farther down the line. And so while it's happening, we want to know why. He tells us directly why. He tells us that he knows that God's warnings are gracious and that God is merciful and compassionate. Jonah tells God, he says, it's this, while I was still in my country, why I didn't want to come here is because I knew you were gracious and compassionate. I knew you would forgive the Ninevites if they repented. That's why I did, that's why I fled to Tarshish. Jonah liked the message that God had for them, that God would destroy them. He liked that. What he didn't like was that God would likely forgive them if he was successful in his ministry. Assyria was an empire. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It was on, on the Tigris, Euphrates rivers. And uh, it, uh, it was the capital, and it was a wicked, wicked city. Their, 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 their violence is, is legendary. It's, it, it was, they were terrible people. They, they were mean to their, to their enemies. They, were, they, they, they crushed them and ground them into the dirt. And the Jews had abundant national pride. You know, they heard what, Paul, what, what Moses said when he said, you will be to me a nation of priests. They, they heard that you will be a special people unto me. But then they started getting a little too big for their britches. They started thinking, well, I'm a special people. And I'm better than everybody else. Assyria was an enemy. But Israel was prosperous at this time. So that made Assyria a rival. They, 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 were, they were a rival. And if, if you want to kind of understand what it would have been like, and we can kind of make light of it a little bit, it'd be like God telling, you know, a fourth generation Chevy executive to go and help out the Ford company. Or uh, a dyed-in-the-wool Wolverine fan and coach to go help out the Spartans. 
I mean, it's, there's this, this, you know, it's, it's this ingrained, enculturated, this is who I am. This is, these are my people. These are who I want to promote. I don't like the other guy. I don't, I don't, that, I'm, not, I'm not encouraging them. I don't want them to succeed. That's, that's what this was. Is Jonah, he, he wanted Israel to be blessed. He did not want the Gentiles to be forgiven. So he didn't want to do it, so he fled. And God pursues him. And, there, and we have the rest of the chapter. Chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord pursued him. The Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, and lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came down to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise! Call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us, so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? Why have you done this? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. Oh, sorry. Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. And the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So here we have that trajectory that I was talking about. Where Jonah comes down off the mountain of the Lord. He flees the presence of the Lord. He goes down into the ship. Down into the depths of the ship. And falls asleep there. It's a kind of death. The type of death. And, and even there, it's not low enough. They have to throw him overboard in order to calm the sea. And he keeps going down until a fish swallows him and he goes down into the sea. When the sailors wake him, Jonah's found to be at fault. Um, I'm sorry, I already covered that. To run from the Lord is to embrace death. And that is exactly what Jonah was expecting. When he finally sees what God is doing, 
When God comes down and, and he's running from God and the ship is about to be destroyed and all of the people on the ship are about to be destroyed. The lot's fallen on him. He's confessed his sin to the mariners. They, they've cried out to God. They, they've cried out to God saying, don't, uh, don't hold us accountable for his sin. Jonah says, throw me in. It, it, it's a kind of noble sacrifice that Jonah's doing there. He, it's a noble request. He says, the sea won't be calm until I obey what God has for me. And that's either to die or to obey. So throw me overboard. I want to die. Just let me be away from all of this. It's a noble request. He has a willingness to die. And he's running away from God's command to preach to Nineveh. Nevertheless. Now in all of this, there's a huge contrast being drawn between the fear of the Lord, Jonah's fear of the Lord, and the mariner's fear of the Lord. Jonah says that he fears the Lord. When, when, he, when they ask him who he is, when they ask him what his occupation is, what does he say? He says, he says, I fear the Lord. I fear Jehovah, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That's verse 9. But what he does is he denies it completely. If he feared God, how could he flee the presence of the Lord? How could he arise to flee to Tarshish from the presence? Why would he do it in a ship? God made the sea and the dry land. If he was so fearful, why was he passed out in the bottom of the ship? If he honored God. But the mariners, on the other hand, demonstrated true worship and true fear. Verses 4 and 5. When the Lord sends out the great, the great wind, the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God. They, they even begged Jonah to do what God was telling him to do. God used the Gentiles to give Jonah his calling. What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us. Jonah was to be the priest to the nations. And, and, and even the, the Gentile captain was calling him to faithfulness in that. And when he confessed who he was after the lot fell on him, when he confessed who he was and what his calling was, they feared God. They said, why have you done this? Don't you see the folly, the, the craziness of that? And then when, when they, and they still wouldn't throw him into the sea, they still honored God enough to, to honor life. They, 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 they fought against the waves. They fought against the storm until they had no hope left. And finally, when they, when they said, this is our last, our last straw, our last opportunity the last thing we can do is we're going to throw Jonah into the sea. And in the process of that, we have their prayer to God. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They have learned the message of Jonah. They've learned the gospel that God is God and He does as it pleases Him. They worship faithfully and truthfully. 
They pick Jonah up and throw him into the sea, and the sea stops raging. God gives them his peace, and they feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. This is exactly what Jonah feared would happen in Nineveh. So even here, God saves Gentiles in Jonah's rebellion. Now this gives us good cause to to ponder. How is it that we sleep? In what ways are we running from God, fleeing His presence? Where do we hightail it in the opposite direction of what God is asking us to do? Do we justify our own prejudices? Do we look down on people who dress differently or listen to different music? Who go to different churches? Who live differently? Who look different? Do we justify our laziness? Instead of getting up and doing what God tells us to to do, do we not do what He tells us to do and then go to the bottom of the ship and take a nap? Do we justify our disobedience? Do we, do we just say, because of, this is just who I am. This, I, I'm going to refuse to change who I am because I don't want to be sanctified. I don't want to do what God's asking me to do. We're not doing, in any of that, we're not doing what God wants us to do. We're not doing what Paul tells us to do. Paul tells us to run the race, to cast off every hindrance. We get fat and lazy. We get comfortable and preoccupied. It's when Jonah is chastised for his wickedness that peace comes to the sea. When God sanctifies Jonah in his, from his rebellion, that salvation comes to the ship and the mariners. This is all the gospel here. God saves the world through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And God tells us to be sacrifices for the world. Take up your cross and follow me is what Jesus says. We want to flee God. We don't want... To, to sacrifice. We don't want to do what it is that He has for us to do in and of ourselves. We need to be renewed in order to do so. But we have to learn this lesson because we can't run away from Him. And He will accomplish His will no matter what we try to do. Because He is everywhere. His presence is everywhere. And His mercy is everywhere. Jonah found God's mercy even in his rebellion. In the pits of the, of the ship. God's mercy. The captain comes and wakes him up and says, please be faithful. When he finally bears witness of who God is. And he submits himself to God's judgment. Throw me into the sea. God is there. God provides mercy. In the, in the grave. In the depths. In the sea. The fish comes. And Jonah is preserved. This is the lesson of Jonah. You cannot outrun God. 
You cannot thwart his design. You have freedom and you have a choice. Obedience gets you life, but disobedience brings discipline. Because God will not be mocked by our sin. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you love us enough to deal with us in our sin. We thank you that you call us to be accountable to you. And that you use your means and your purposes to accomplish sanctification and holiness. And we rejoice that in these means you establish righteousness and peace. You give life. You cause us to stop fighting against you and you establish us in the ways of knowledge and understanding. You give us peace with yourself and you set us at peace with our brothers. Father, we now conclude. broken and fallen and all of us are born into this brokenness we are broken we're in need of resuscitation and life as we see in the book of Jonah even God's prophets fall short of the mark and like Jonah it's only in God's gracious redemption and revelation that we can begin to see his truth and to learn his ways This is not just an academic exercise. This isn't something that we can just read about, think about, and cerebrally understand. It doesn't not touch our hearts or our bones. This this lesson is for our life. Jonah had had to experience the punishment, the judgment of God. God is calling each and every one of us to give ourselves over to Him, to open our hearts to His calling, to walk down the paths that He's prepared for us. But we do not need to fear because even in the depths of the sea, God is there. There's nowhere we can go that God is not there. He's given us His Word, and His Word is powerful and effective and efficient for saving us. Jesus is working His will in the world. And He will save us and the Gentiles. And He will root out sin. And this can be very painful. But even in that, there's hope in the void. There's light in the darkness. And as surely as you are about to put bread in your mouths and taste wine on your tongues, you are receiving the promises of the gospel. That if you will believe That Jesus Christ died for your sins. And that God raised him from the dead. That you will be saved and forgiven. And established in righteousness and peace and joy and rejoicing. Christ's body. Broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, 
the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWingle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.